All right. We have a little uh, moving around so that everybody can can talk to each other. Hey, good to see you. Let me bring everybody here. And let's actually get to where we can hear them. Great. All right. You all say hello to each other while I go get my prop. Hi. Uh, Hi. I'll leave my foot. Hello, that. All right. So, um, hello. I'm here with something again that is maybe for little children, but I also know adults that like this guy. His name is Sherman. <laughs> He's a sheep. Yeah. See. He's got a little issue going on with his eyes because they're not really so connected. Sherman the sheep. Um, and, you know, sheep get mentioned a lot in our, uh, in our gospels, although not today. Um, but sheep generally are, are part of a group. They all stay together. And uh, one of the challenges with being a sheep, and I think Sherman would agree, is um, is that sometimes it's hard to know when to stay with the crowd and when to do something different than what the crowd is doing, especially if, if it's a group that you know really well. Because sometimes we can get in the habit of doing things in a certain way, uh, but it's not necessarily the right way to do them. It's just the way we've always done them. Now, I was thinking about that this morning. Um, and yesterday and earlier in the week, I heard about this. Um, it, it's come up on the news a lot, uh, a place called Jackson, Mississippi. Have any of you heard about that? Yeah. I've, mm -hmm. heard, I've heard of it, but my grandparents live in Jackson, California. Oh, okay. So you know about Jackson and then um, some of you probably here have heard about Jackson, Mississippi and the problem that they're having with their water. And I had heard that they didn't have running water there. That was terrible that they didn't have running water, that they hadn't had running water for a week. But it turns out on learning more about it, that they've had water problems in Jackson for years and years and years. And it got to be something that the people who were able to change it just didn't change it because that's the way it always was. And they just got used to having bad water. It's always been that way, so we're not going to do anything about it. But now, finally, people are realizing that they're going to break away from some of the other sheep and do their own thing, and they're going to try to fix this problem. And so um, just coming out of that, and I'll talk more about this in the sermon to come, um, but I want you to think about what you think is important to God in the world for your friends, for your neighborhood. when you think about that and follow that way and find the fellow sheep that are gonna work with you. And that's what Sherman, Sherman does. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, now comes the big moment when we're going to uh, try to do the sermon from the, from the pulpit. So we're gonna do a little movement of the computer. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna move up there and we'll see how it goes. I'm gonna bring Sherman I'm gonna bring Sherman with me for luck.
And can you hear me? Excellent. So good morning, God's grace and peace be with you all. Blessings on all of us here and online uh, as we share this time together. So this morning, I'm gonna to talk to you about Luke 14, which was the gospel I just read, and about Philemon, which Ian read. And we're gonna talk generally about what we can make of the call in Luke to hate our mother, father, brothers, sisters, spouse, and even life itself. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what it means to pick up our cross for a short time. And then also how Philemon can guide us in doing that work and what it means for us now. And eventually I'm gonna talk about swim caps. And I'm just wetting your appetite on that. What do you know about swim caps? And who do you think designed the first swim caps? Just think about that. I don't know the answer to that question. You don't have to look it up later, but generally, who do you think designed the first swim caps? If you know the answer, you can call it out when we get there. Okay, so we'll come back to that. But let's start with the passage in Luke 14, where Jesus calls on the crowd of followers. So it's this large group of followers who, who kind of started thinking that Jesus is amazing and like the hot new thing, and they're starting to follow. And Jesus calls on this crowd to hate all those people that I mentioned, and also to, to hate life itself. This comes across as shocking, right? That doesn't seem in line with some of the other things that Jesus has said. Um, it's maybe a little less shocking when you consider that hate is not the most exact translation of the Greek. In other translations, this passage has more of a feel of Jesus asking the crowd to love God and to focus on God first, and then mother, family, and our life, to detach a bit from those other things and people. Um, and to do that and to focus on God, it's, it's still a radical call, but it's more in line with what we've heard in other places in the gospel. Like Jesus talking about the greatest commandment is to love God. Uh, it's it's kind of provocative words. Now, to put God first above any individual, including ourselves, is to favor God's vision, to favor the whole community of God over any individual. It's not to set any individual aside just because they are who they are, but it's to say that God's vision for the world wins over everything else. Of course, the problem can be figuring out what God's vision is. Interpreting the vision of God is so dependent on the community that you're in, the shared values that you already have, and living those values out in a particular context that's very different 2,000 years ago than it is today. So when we talk about creating some separation for mom and dad and family, maybe what we're really talking about is separating ourselves from anything that leads us into harmful practices. And that could be systems in which we live that are harmful to some element of the people of God and systems that can persist in communities if left unexamined, like the water problems in Jackson. As Hustogan Salas writes about this passage, and I've been reading his commentary on Luke, so you'll probably hear some more about Christo Gonzalez later. 
uh, later in this month. A disciple of Jesus must be ready to carry the burden not only of tensions in the family, but even of civil disobedience to the point of legal punishment. That is, we need to be ready to break from any kind of system that is harming the community of God. And just to briefly look at this call to take up our cross, it can come across in the same way. In the cost of discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, you know, kind of a, a famous uh, Lutheran, he wrote, the cross is laid on every Christian. It begins with the call to abandon the attachments of the world. So the cross that we are asked to take up is maintaining fidelity to God's way. It's that very fidelity to the kingdom of God and that very fidelity to the community of God that we were talking about. And we're called to focus on Jesus' words, values, examples, in order to build up in our time this community of God. But we're still stuck with the question of how we abandon attachments to the world and how that intersects with the time and place and systems arising in which we seek to follow Jesus. Fortunately for us today, uh, an unlikely source, the book of Philemon, can help us address the question of how historic systems impact the way we think about the world. So Eric Breda makes, makes this question as addressed in Philemon more specific, posing it in the following way. If God has drawn people together into communities of faith, as God has done throughout the world and throughout time, how then are we able to relate to one another when the dictates of the wider culture lead us toward division and social stratification rather than toward unity and equality? So again, how do we deal with this cultural disconnect? Okay, so Philemon looks at this question um, of the challenge between being connected by community, but pulled apart by the way the world is by historic systems. And we can even see that in the way Philemon is interpreted. So starting with the text we heard earlier, um, there's a few things that have stayed constant in reading Philemon since the first century. And there's a lot more things that I think maybe 50 years ago, people would have said is just how Philemon is that are not the same now. But those, those things are that the letter was definitely written by Paul. So it's one of the, one of the uh, everybody believes that Paul wrote this um, while he was in prison. He mentions a, a few other people also. The letter was addressed to someone named Philemon. Um, we also see it included his sister and the church that was there. And then Paul was writing about someone he'd come to know named Onesimus. So in early interpretation, and early is like from the first century through Martin Luther, roughly, um, Philemon and Paul are at the heart of the story. Onesimus is uh, pictured as a slave who's run away. And he's usually say he's done bad things. Right. That's nowhere in the text, but that's what people typically say, that he's a bad person. And Paul is going to return him to Philemon. There's a sense in those readings that Onesimus has been changed through his faith, and now he can be a brother. And the idea is that Paul is 
going to ask them that either be released or be enslaved. So this is from Martin Luther's commentary, which is uh, in this kind of category. Uh, this epistle gives us a masterful and tender illustration of Christian love. For here we see how St. Paul takes the part of poor Onesimus and to the best of his ability advocates his cause with the master. He acts exactly as if he were himself Onesimus, who had done wrong. So kind of hitting all those points. So later on, starting in the 18th century in this country, uh, there were interpretations that moved to the idea that Paul was not actually asking Onesimus to be set free, but he was saying that Onesimus should go back to Philemon and still be enslaved. And um, this was used extensively during, um, during slavery in this country, uh, particularly the book of Philemon was used uh, as a, as a pro-slavery tool to advocate that all slaves should be returned to the master based on this text. All right, so modern interpretations, and really a lot of them are postmodern interpretations of Philemon, um, they don't even agree that Onesimus was a slave. They know that it was only used a couple of times in the passage, and it was never used as saying the slave Onesimus. It was that he uh, should be treated not as a slave, but as something more than a slave. So there's like an indication that he's a slave, but it's not for, for sure. Um, we don't know that Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon, just that he sent the letter. And even if Onesimus was a slave, there's nothing in the passage that indicates that he had a state according to these interpretations. And so a lot of people who started looking at the book of Philemon to see what it can say for the Onesimuses in the world, right? The ones who are being um, oppressed, who don't have the, a lot of say in their own lives. And people are starting to think about what is it in this passage, in this text that, that Paul is saying to those people instead of looking at it solely from what Paul is doing for Philemonism. Okay, so why am I mentioning these examples of Philemon, other than maybe it's interesting because we've never thought about Philemon that way, but it's really to come back to our constant need to be understanding history and the practices that arose in the past and to understand how we can use our new knowledge or a new point of view of reading to really understand other ways thinking about how we act in the world. Okay, I'm back to swim caps now. So what might be an example, and this is a small one, but it did just happen, uh, of swim caps. So swim caps, for a long time in this country, uh, maybe you all know this, if you were not a white person, it was very difficult for you to swim with people who were white. That was segregation, right? And although um, legally that ended probably about 50 years ago, in practice, uh, it continued just because of poor historical reasons, because of where people lived or the fact that many people of color just never knew how to swim. 
So now that's not the case. And so there's a swim cap. It's called the Soul Cap. And it was designed primarily for Black women. I mean, anyone can use them, but it was designed for the distinctive nature of the hair, needing, needing a little more room in the cap for, uh, for the hair to go. And there's a national, international organization that decides on what's legal to use in the Olympics. It's called the FINA. It's in French. I don't speak French, so I'm not going to try it. But it's um, it's basically the associated swimming association. And here's what they said when they ruled on whether people could use the soul cap. They said, to their best knowledge, the athletes competing at the inter international events never used and neither required to use caps of this size and configuration. Right? So they're kind of stuck. Um, not sure that's not how she but they're kind of stuck in this way that, well, we've never done it that way. And so we shouldn't allow it. So FINA was, uh, you know, dominated by non-Black people and swimming was dominated by non-Black people for a long time. And so of course there was no historical need. And so the, the system couldn't be changed because there was no historical need. Now, there was someone who was a little outside of that peanut group. Her name is Danielle Ove, and she was the chair of the Black Swimming Association. And she noted that this is kind of like this big circular issue. By and large, she says, hair is a significant barrier to aquatics for many women, especially, and many people of color from our communities. Right? So that's something that's outside of the experience of a group. And we have to reconsider a new way of thinking about how history has impacted what they're doing. Okay, so Fina, this is the, what just happened. Fina decided to reconsider, and a couple of days ago, the caps are not even allowed. So, to bring this all together now, and this time, being a follower of Jesus. Uh, as were some in the crowds, as was Philemon, as was Paul, as was Onesimus, as we are followers of Jesus, it's not without cost. As Husserl Gonzalez says, again, I did mention he, he said again, uh, one should not become a follower of Jesus without considering the cost, the opposition, and the final outcome. As followers of Jesus, we need to understand the costs to ourselves of making changes and of acting in ways that truly honor each person as a child of God. In the swim pack example, I would say there was not that big cost, but in other examples, the cost can be quite large. We need to consider the value of turning to all our members and living out Jesus' message for all of them. We have chances each day, week, and year to live out these costs, to lift up our cross, which means being committed to the kingdom of God. Sometimes in large ways, mostly in small ways, we have to consider what it means to follow the ways of Jesus in this time. For example, just, just four examples. Do we speak up when someone misgenders someone, whether by accident or on purpose? 
do we keep in mind that people of color are historically mistreated? Do we consciously try to check our own biases, even when it's difficult? And more simply, do we consider ways to help our community, even when it disrupts our own plans for ourselves? For each of these questions and more, we just constantly, we continue to turn toward God and toward Jesus. We center ourselves on the life-giving behavior that will transcend these historic systems, some of which we talked about today and talking about I mean, the historic systems that have kept all of those people from thriving. That is what we seek to do based on this message from you. Like us to just pray together as we close down. God of justice and mercy, our relationship with you is formed in community based on your values. Help us to turn away from actions of ourselves and others that are rooted in systems that separate us from you. Focus us all on your values that help us to unite our community so that we can all grow together in your love. Through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.